I wanted to uh, add to one of the announcements that was given here this morning. And uh, Ron, can I have my special light on? Thank you. That really helps. All right. Um, I wanted to mention a special announcement just to tag on a couple of things that Monty had mentioned. I think it's important that you know where my heart is on this issue and where the elders are on this, and that is Vacation Bible School. And it might be that you, you think, well, I did my time. <laughs> um, that is erroneous thinking. Um, all of us need to continue on as a part of VBS. And it might be that you cannot be here to help, but you certainly can pray. And that's really the most powerful, most important thing that needs to be done, is that you are praying, just like Chris had prayed here, and um, that God would do a great work. It's not just that, you know, we're keeping records back in the church office of all your service, you know, and uh, okay, Leighton was here, way to go, okay? It, it, that's not it. It's, it's serving the Lord and you being a part of it uh, in praying and in, in serving. Um, we do have a prayer team during the VBS times. And so if you want to join in on that, we encourage that. Also, I want to make mention of um, our Sunday school programs during the summer. They continue on. Um, Michael Parrish is going to continue teaching in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, Rick Beach will pick up on June 27th. And I, I want to mention just quickly of the video that's going to be video clips that will be shown um, done by a man by the name of Tim Keller. And some of you have heard him maybe on KNIS radio. Um, he's developed this video that we're going to be showing clips of it. And it's an excellent tool to encourage us and motivate us to continue growing and maturing as disciples of Christ. Okay, So um, please uh, continue encouraging uh, each other by coming for Sunday schools um, in the fellowship hall with Michael's class or here in the auditorium. Okay, um, we're going to get started here with um, a study in Hebrews chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, please take, take it and... Open it to Hebrews towards the end of your New Testament. Okay. And I'm hoping that uh, here this morning we will cover verse 7 through 9. And then in two weeks, um, we'll come back to Hebrews 13 and look at um, later on in the chapter... Uh, in verse 17. But here this morning, I want us to consider this passage, Hebrews 13, 7 through 9. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. That's what we want to look at here this morning. Join me in prayer, please. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you uh, recognizing that you are the author of this good book. 
And by the power of your spirit, by the work of your spirit, open up our eyes, help us to see and help us to grow and mature in our faith. Lord, do your good work that only you can do. We pray for your sake and glory. Amen. Amen. All right. As we get started here, I want to, um, I've titled this, entitled this Keys to Godly Church Leadership. And um, uh, I know that in some ways, people, when they, when they get at a certain age, they think they've arrived. I don't know if I should talk about turning 50 or turning 18 or, or you know, which way we go here <laughs> um, going up. <laughs> but uh, sometimes people think they, you know, hit a certain age and they've arrived. Stop it, Michael Parrish. He keeps teasing me that I'm older than him. I don't know that. Do you? I mean, d- does it? No, never mind. <laughs> um, or also, if it's a position, it's like you get a position and you, you, it's like, oh, you know, you've arrived or something. And yet, it, that's not the case with either one. You know, it's not like all of a sudden you have a position and now all of a sudden you're a, a leader. You know, there's got to be more than just having a, a label or a title. There's got to be the life and the heart behind it, right? And one of the things that we deal with in America is this. This is by a, a, a rabbi that wrote this. He gave some real good insights on this. And so, here we go, Chris. Uh, over here. <laughs> I don't have the extension out here. But uh, today in America, a lot of people believe only in what is good for them. Now, this is more in a social setting, okay? They believe only in what is good for them. Why? Because in many ways, the highest ideal in America is, what do you think it is? Freedom. The highest ideal in America, he says, is freedom. And for many, that has come to mean the freedom to worry only about what is best for themselves. What makes me feel good? What makes me happy? What happens when we follow this most, in his word, un-Jewish of all paths through life. It's not the big things that will go wrong, murder or rape. Most of us understand how immoral they are. It's the little things that begin to disappear when we worry only about ourselves. Things like civility, decency, and courtesy. Why do I read that? Because it's, it's a critical thing in regards to leadership. And here in America, you know, that's, this carries some truth to it. We, um, we all get upset and, and kind of out of joint because of things that we hear that are going on, that are going to affect us in, the, in this year or in next year. And we think, ah, this isn't supposed to be. It's messing with my freedom. Well, and that gets us into another one that we need to consider. And that is, what's a good leader all about? And based on some surveys of more than 15,000 
people, which of these traits do you think is selected as the key to effective leadership? Being fair-minded, being cooperative, being honest, or being imaginative? If you guessed honest, you get the high score. That scored far above any others in a list of 20. In fact, the top four characteristics of admired leaders, the percentage of people who selected them are, number one is being honest at 80 87%. 87%. They, they want someone that's honest. Okay? Um, a leader that, uh, that's looking forward, someone that has a, that visionary kind of thing, looking forward, that was 71%. Being inspirational came in third at 68%, and being competent, unusually enough, came at 58%. If these qualities alone were running for office, says the authors of credibility, they are the ones that would achieve consensus and victory. The authors go on to say, honest people have credibility, and that's what gives leaders the trust and confidence of their people. I don't know, I don't think I need to say a whole lot about the next election and what's, you know, what's going to kind of, what's going on in people's minds come this fall. And how do we, how do we uh, understand and, uh, you know, have a, a grip on this idea that this candidate that I'm voting for, whatever level, whatever region or whatever, is, is got integrity. And that's an important thing. So with that kind of little build-up, I'd like us to just go at this passage, Hebrews 13, 7, 8, and 9, with this little outline that's in your bulletin. You can follow along. And uh, these are keys to godly church leadership. Okay? And so, again, here we go with another emphasis on leadership and Many of you have kind of been there, done that in, in leadership seminars for work um, or even studies, you know, that uh, relate to here's what the Bible talks about. I want us to understand this, look at it. So keys to godly church leadership, number one, starts with the integrity of leaders. It says, remember your leaders, those who led you, right? Remember those who led you. Remember is simply the... The idea of bring it to mind. And it's in a sense, he's doing a past tense uh, emphasis here. He's got a kind of a past tense emphasis. Remember the leaders who led you. Remember them who led you. And the idea is that it's not just um, Parkside, Bible ship, uh, Parkside Bible Fellowship's leadership. Okay? It's not just about uh, the elders here, this is pointing to something bigger. It's really pointing to those who le- led you. And that can mean, here's pastors from the past, Sunday school teachers from the past, Bible authors from the past, uh, pastors that you hear on your computer or on the radio. So it, it brings in a whole lot of those who led you. And we're to consider them, it says, 
remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. So, we have three simple points underneath number one. Consider then their direction. Their direction. And that's simply getting at their, you know, where they're going. Their leaders what? Leaders lead, right? They take steps. They move forward. They look ahead. And they make mistakes. What? I know when I was first saved, it was like, I, I, I wouldn't have ever thought that or said that. Leaders don't make mistakes. They're leaders. <laughs> then you get to know more about yourself and others as you get older. And you realize, oh, leaders make mistakes. But leaders then what? Make amends. Leaders make mistakes and then they make amends. And then they move on. Okay? There's a, a very good book that we have in our, um, in our office here. A um, book by Alexander Strout. And he's written a book on biblical eldership, an urgent call to restore biblical church leadership. And in it, he says this about elders. Elders are to be servant leaders. Okay? See, in our context of church leadership, leaders are to follow. <laughs> leaders are to serve because they know who the true leader is and they need to be reminded of that regularly. Who is the true leader? I've said it in the past couple of weeks. It, you know, it's not, here's Parkside Bible Fellowship, Woody's church. No. Uh, or Woody and Dale and Bill. As elders, no, no, it's the Lord Jesus. He bought the church with his own blood. He promised to bless the church and build it. It's his church. Okay. And so elders are followers and are servants. They know who the true leader is, the, the chief shepherd. It's Jesus Christ. And so, going on with what Alexander Strauch said, God doesn't want His people to be used. He doesn't want His children to be used in petty, self-serving, tyrant ways. <laughs> I've got another book in my office, um, Churches That Burn People. <laughs> Something about that. How, and, and we've mentioned that before in the past too. That there's been churches you know where leadership does certain things and there's not a there's not a connectivity at all in fact there's a there's an opposition now all of a sudden why it's how it's maybe maybe how leadership went about making decisions how leadership went about doing what they said they needed to do but like the servant christ Elders should be sacrificing their time and energy for the good of others. Only elders who are loving, humble servants can genuinely manifest the incomparable life of Jesus Christ to the congregations in a watching world. And so, you know, in, we can be wowed by someone that comes in that's, that's got it all together and is a, a really, you know, 
great public speaker and, and can lead and make the charge up the hill and all that. And yet, maybe there's a pride problem behind all that. And so, in, in, in selecting leadership, it's important that we understand here's, here's an individual that knows about humility. Here's an individual that knows about the word of God and can refute those who oppose it and can shepherd and comfort and counsel. Okay? So leaders lead. And so we, we want to watch the direction in that sense. What direction are they going in? Letter B is their message. It says, remember your leaders, those who, very simple, those who spoke the word of God to you. Okay? Those who spoke the word of God. They've been faithful in relaying the truth of the gospel message. Okay? And so, that's something that, and again, I'm really glad that, you know, as as we study this, it's not just about... it's not that all the spotlights are on Woody Swenson here at this point, at this moment. That is important that I do a good, faithful job in preaching the gospel. But it goes beyond me. It, you know, here are other men and women who serve as leaders in our congregation. And there are other people, your old Sunday school from back in 19-whatever, you know, <laughs> who were faithful in teaching the Word of God. Okay? And they spoke the Word of God. They spoke the Word of God to you. And then, their outcome. Let her see. Look at what it says there. Considering the result of their conduct. Considering. Okay? So, he's saying, remembering... Remember those who spoke the word and consider. And the idea of consider is to look at it again and again. Consider the outcome of their conduct. Okay? The result of their, of their conduct. So, um, how do we do this? Well, y- you could say, well, you can observe somewhat of the outcome of my uh, my conduct. You can look at our children, let's say, and say, well, there's a part of that. But see, I'm not finished yet. And see, there's other others who have led you, whether it's here at this church or in, in a general ministerial way, the issue of those who have led. And now we can open up the open it up to even more ideas and examples. The Old Testament, my friend, the Old Testament ha- has example after example of leadership issues. Leadership issues that you can look at, you can read it and study it and see, oh, here's Abraham. You remember what kind of a- uh, leadership Abraham gave to his wife? We've got to go to Egypt. Come on, let's go to Egypt. We've got to get out of the famine land and go to Egypt. They get to Egypt. Can you imagine it, ladies? Your husband says, now, tell him you're my sister. What? 
tell him you're my sister. Great. She, she follows through with obeying her husband. And what happens? You know, Abraham gets in big trouble from Abimelech, that, that king of Egypt. Well, guess what happens after that? In Genesis 26, son Isaac does the same thing. Tell him you're my sister. <laughs> okay? Patterns of leadership follow. And, and it doesn't stop there. Study the life of Moses. Study the life of Joshua. Go through the book of Judges. And what do you find? Leadership, leadership, leadership issues. Okay? Let's, let's look at one in particular. We could go through Saul, King Saul, all sorts of leadership issues. Oh, not good ones. He blamed his own people for a mistake that he made. The prophet Samuel showed up and said, well, the people wanted to do this, right? Uh, King David, King Solomon, issues of leadership. How are they leading? There's one I want to look at. It's in 2 Kings. Turn uh, about to the middle of your Bible. If you hit Psalms, you've got to go back even further. 2 Kings 21. Now, if you have some pages sticking together, you need to get in the Old Testament more. <laughs> okay? 2 Kings 21. Ammon, it's in verse 19, I'm sorry. 2 Kings 21, verse 19. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king. And he reigned two years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Hazar of Jotbah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done. For he walked in all the way that his father had walked and served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. So he forsook the Lord the God of his fathers, and did not walk or conduct himself in the way of the Lord. And the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. Okay? Enough of him. Move on to chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah, Jedidah the, the daughter of Adiah, of Boskath. You try and read those. And he did and he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. Okay? Now, I'm not going to read any more, but you if you pick it up in this passage and continue reading, you're going to see what Josiah did to be a godly leader and the decisions he made. Okay? That'd be an excellent study for you and your 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 husband or you and your wife or you, you know, with your children. Okay? So excellent leadership takes place, you know, following this. And on it goes. There's issues of leadership. And when the when the leadership is strong and godly, guess what happens to the people? 
blessing. There, there's, there we go. Okay. Now, that this was in a national sense. Nationally speaking, as a country, the people of Israel prospered with godly leadership. Okay. And here's the deal. We, in America, we think that because we're a Christian nation, you know, that the same thing will apply. Well, not always. We're not Israel. Okay? We're not God's chosen people as a nation. So, if it's not working like we see it in the Old Testament with Israel, well, it's because we're not Israel. But yet, the principles are still there, right? When there's godly leadership and they fear God, there will be much greater potential of blessing and prosperity for the people. But see, sometimes we, we end up um, short-sighted because all we are looking for is materialism. And when there's prosperity, it's like, oh, excellent, you know, more money in the pocket or more money in the savings or whatever. And see, God's not concerned about that. God's concerned about your heart fearing Him. Your loved ones learning about fearing God. So, what I'm trying to do with these examples is show you illustrations from the Bible that relate back here now. We go back to Hebrews 13 that says, consider the result of their conduct. Consider the result of their conduct. And you can look in the, in the Old Testament and see, here are the results. And see what, what, what happened. And then it finishes off with saying, imitate their faith. Imitate is simple, the, the simple word of mimic in the Greek. It's a word that's transliterated into the English language. Mimic. Mimic their faith. And that's what we do. When you read a good book by a Christian author and it it helps you with a how-to, what do you do? You pass that along. I tell you, I'll name some names here. Um, One of the first names that comes to mind is Charles Swindoll. What a blessing to the body of Christ, I believe. What a blessing to the body of Christ because in so many ways, he and another one, Warren Wearsby, have been so helpful in very practical issues of living. And they go right to the Word. They're saying, here it is. Warren Wiersbe's series throughout his commentaries on the Bible are, you know, be humble, be giving. And so he, he'll, he'll just go on that kind of idea of here's action that you and I respond with. Okay? Um... Another one that you can look on uh, on the internet and see writings of his or books that uh, we have from his ministry, and that's Ray Stedman, um, a, a godly pastor teacher who's now gone on to be with the Lord, but such a, a practical, simple uh, style of of teaching. Okay, sometimes you get into someone. You know, and you think, whoa, where's this guy at? 
and you, you're, it's flying overhead, and you're hardly grabbing anything from what he's saying. But these guys, Warren Wiersbe, uh, how could I forget J. Vernon McGee? J. Vernon McGee. You know, these guys are so down to earth in their ministry. If you've not heard of these men, J. Vernon McGee, Warren Wiersbe, Charles Swindoll, Ray Stedman, get a hold of some of their writings. It's, it's so encouraging. Then you get more theological in some of the, the guys that are uh, maybe more theological in their approach. Um, J.I. Packer, Knowing God, his book on knowing God is, is you've got to have that. You've got to get that book. If you, and it's an old book. But if you don't have it, get the book, Knowing God. It's still in publication, okay? Um, guys like Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, J.C. Ryle, uh, excellent writers. Amazing what God has done through them. Um, another one, and this gets a little deeper now, Jonathan Edwards. Um, his, his treatise on religious affections. If you can get through that, you will be blessed in that way. And here's all these guys I'm mentioning, and there's a score of others that are men who have led you. Men who have led you. They've spoken the word of God to you. Now, consider the result of their conduct. Jonathan Edwards is still considered one of the greatest theologians and, and writers and speakers in our history. Okay? Um, not to forget C.S. Lewis. And um, one that I was really encouraged by in college days, and that was Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer, we've mentioned it maybe in the past, he was a prophet in his own time. He, he was an, uh, an, an, a very intelligent man, and he, he could put together things and, and take history, not just ancient history uh, in one area, but in many areas of history and put it together and say, guess what? Here, here's what's coming. Here's what's happening. And his book, How Should We Then Live, is an excellent book. He, he brings together art and music in it. And you're thinking, where, where's he going with this? He's showing the, the outflow of a man or a, a, a woman's life in their art or in their music and shows basically... Here, here's the thread that they're following. The thread of, of life and of worldview. So, that's, those are some important things for us to consider. All these people that you and I have um, a way in which we can listen to them or read them. They lead us. Okay? Now, back to Hebrews 13. Okay? Okay? He says, imitate their faith. Walk in their way. It's just like the idea with the little child. They're, you know, they're trying to walk in daddy's footsteps, right? It's that kind of a thing. You and I, in this day and age, we can walk in those footsteps because those guys that are truly following the living God, Jesus Christ, the God-man, and that we worship a triune God, we're walking in those steps. And so this is why it comes back to, it's very important that you 
are alert to false teaching, deceptive teaching. Because there's all sorts out there, all sorts, that want to kind of tweak it and make it more man-centered. We've got to be careful of that. But we've got to move on to point number two. We realize, you know, here's, uh, we recognize leaders are going to come and go. Um, whether it's, here's, here's someone like John Duncan, who now God takes him home. Or um, it was back in the day when uh, maybe uh, Pastor Norm Thompson was here, right? And um, he moved on. Uh, Pastor Dave Wooth was here, and he moved and went to another ministry. You know, however it is, leaders come and go. Leaders come and go. That's why I believe he's dropped in this gem of a verse. Look at it. Leaders come and go. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and yes, forever. See, aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad? He's talking about leadership here. And if you got stuck for, with me for, you know, <laughs> however long, I don't know. But aren't you glad that verse 8 is there? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. And so, number two, is got to be, here's the key to godly church leadership, and that's, number two is the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ. The centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got to be at the center of things. No other way about it. Okay? It has to be that way. And godly church leadership has to take it that way. And let me tell you, it's very easy for in any church setting for leadership, pastors, to take the power grips, to take the power handles and run with it. It's very easy. And that's why it's important that we understand when Paul appointed leaders, he appointed elders, he appointed plural elders in a church. Why? It's got to be because of accountability. There's got to be integrity in leadership. There has to be that. Honesty. Okay? Uh, And integrity has got this concept behind it that there's a a completeness or a a wholeness. comes from the the, the word um, integer. Integer. Okay? Wholeness. Right? And so, now here, Jesus Christ, He is the chief shepherd. He is the one that we say, letter A, under number two, his immutability. He is immutable. What does that mean? Okay. We're there in, in Hebrews 13. Turn over one page to James chapter 1, verse 17. We see one reference here about this big, huge word, immutability. And it's James 1, 17. Every good thing bestowed, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. 
Malachi 3, verse 6 says, I, the Lord, what? Do not change. God says that of himself. I do not change. Okay? So when we talk about the idea of, here's the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ in our in our understanding of leadership, in our understanding of church, it starts with, he doesn't change. Okay? And secondly, letter B, it's about the fact that because he doesn't change and because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we could say, letter B, his availability. His availability. He's never too busy. He's never too busy. Okay? And so we want to trust in him. Whatever concerns come up for us in in, in regards to leadership decisions, he's never too busy. We can always go to him. We can always get on our knees and pray. Right? He's permanently available. You know, you know what it's like at a doctor's office. (laughs) Sitting and waiting. And then you might not get the appointment. It might, you know, well, he had to go off to emergency surgery. Sorry. See you next time. You know, and that's just, that's the way it goes. But, you know, here, here's the, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd. And we can always, at any moment, call out to him. Thirdly, let us see his eter- eternality, eternality. Um, if you're taking notes, Psalm 90, Psalm 90, verse 2, uh, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. I love this. You know, in our day and age, you know, when we had to go to San Francisco in the past, we were, we were packed up with, you know, here's a couple of laptops and here's our, our cell phones and our, our all display of uh, communication stuff. But if you forgot one little charger, what happens? You're out of business. Right? Jesus Christ doesn't need to be recharged. He doesn't need to be replaced. He doesn't need remodeling. And I know you know that. But do you? Do you? Then if we know it, let's do our best to say, I want to put that into action in my brain in my life so that action flows in that same kind of way where we can say, you know what? He never needs replacing. He never needs recharging. Nothing like that at all. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Okay? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And Jesus Christ himself said, I am that I am. Before Abraham, or before Abram was, I am. Okay? Then we go to the, the, the sequence of his life. He lived. He was crucified. He was buried. He came alive from the dead. Physically alive from the dead. And he's proclaimed as Lord over all. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he never fails. Would you say that with me on the count of three? That he never fails. He never fails. And say it loud and clear. One, two, three. He never fails. Say it again. He never 
Turn to your neighbor and say it. He never fails. I don't want to get into, you know, rah-rah cheerleading stuff. You guys first. You guys next. But you know what? We don't say that enough. And we don't think that enough. Okay? He has won over sin and Satan and death. Okay? So, keys to godly church leadership. The integrity of the leaders, the centrality of the Lord Jesus, and number three, on the back of your outline, or wherever it is, I don't know, maybe on the back there, is the vitality of sound doctrine. Why do I say vitality? Is because of what verse 9 tells us. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. There's the vitality of your life week after week after week. Don't be, that's a command, don't be carried away by false teaching or strange and varied teachings. Okay, so letter A, we've got, here's number three, the vitality of sound doctrine. It's A, because of real deceptions. There are real deceptions out there when it comes to Christianity and teaching. Don't be carried away or don't be led astray. Beware. And listen, my friend, the strange teachings were there at the start of creation. Here comes the serpent. And here's the first example of strange teachings. Did God really say? There it is. And it's continued on ever since. All right? They've been around. Satan's counterfeiting company. It just keeps going. It just keeps coming up with new, you know, more stuff, more stuff. It's very effective. Satan's counterfeiting. It's very effective, it's very subtle, and it's very logical. And that's, the, that's one of the catches in it. That's one of the, the grabs in it, is because it's logical. You're brought up to be a good boy, a good girl, and so you should work hard to please God. That sounds good, doesn't it? But when you say, now I'm going to have to work hard to gain His blessing... There you've gone over the line because now you're working on a merit system. I better be good enough for God. And so I'll keep doing good. I'll keep going to church. I'll keep helping the poor. I'll keep doing all these things. And thus God will say, oh, wow, you're so good. You've done it. Come into my heaven. And that is a lie from hell. We've got to understand that. It's a lie from hell. You can do it. No. Why did Jesus come? I'm adding to the work of Christ if I think that way. You are adding to the work of Christ if you think that way. If you think that way, you're going to respond that way. And we've got people right here in this community who left um, what we would say would be a biblical church ministry and jumped to the works righteousness system. They've left Righteousness is, is, is all that it, it's all about Christ and his righteousness imputed to me. And they've left and gone to some other form, some other system that says they've got to work for it. 
and they're deceived. And the same language is used. Grace, repentance, faith, all the same words, they're used. But we've got to be alert to it. So there's deceptions. Um, so Satan's counterfeiting of efforts are what we have to be alert to. And, and combined with the problem of Jeremiah 17.9, my heart, your heart is what? Deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That means your heart. Okay? So, because of real deceptions, we've got to have the vitality of sound doctrine. Number, letter B, it's because of the potential. Here's the potential is man's heart. Look at verse 9. It is good for the heart. Right there. There's the potential. The heart needs to be um, replaced with the heart of flesh. From a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Right? Jesus, listen. We know that the heart, your heart, is the battlefield. Here's the battlefield. It's your heart. It's your, the very core, the very center of who you are. That's the battle zone right there. For good or for evil. For God or for Satan. As you study the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find out very quickly that His drive was going after what? The heart of the person that He was talking to. He was not concerned about the outward appearance. He was concerned about the heart. He went after the heart. You can see it in Matthew, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. You can see it where he talks about murder and anger. Everyone thought that was outside kind of thing. No, that's the problem is from the heart. You don't have to kill anyone with a shotgun or a knife or whatever, but you can still be a murderer because of the anger in your heart. Same thing. He talked about, he talked about lust and adultery. Okay? He talked about lust and adultery. Most of this hits you, men, because we have the, probably the, the bigger problem with it. And we say, well, I've been with my wife for, you know, 60 years or however many years, 20 years, 10 years. But you can still be an adulterer in your heart. And Christ was, that was his priority. He wanted to, he was after the heart. Okay? He knew if a person was full of hurt or he knew if a person was full of hypocrisy. And so here in Hebrews 13, the the writer says, it's good for the heart. And what's good for the heart is having the master's touch, right? Having the master's touch. Well, last one, letter C. It's because of real change. Here's, you know, it's not just about potential. It's this, here's what's good for the heart. But now here's where change happens. It's grace. Strengthened by grace. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods. That's what he gets to talking about as the, as you read on. He's saying, here's the comparison. There's a, there's this legalism that says you gotta have the right foods, but no, he's saying, you'll, your heart, it's good for your heart to be strengthened by grace. 
and that word to be strengthened is very simply stated to be established or to be stabilized, uh, to be firm, unwavering, all those things. That happens when you learn more about grace in all of its ways in your life. What is grace? <laughs> God giving me what I didn't deserve. He, he's not looking and seeing if I, I've climbed the ladder enough and now he gives me that grace. No, he, he knows that I need grace because I'm at the bottom. I'm at the pit. And he gives grace to those who call upon him. Okay? I hope that we can... Uh, we've, we've got to. We, I, I don't want to say it. I hope. We have to continue emphasizing grace living. Okay? Grace living. They had problems with, you know, how to live in the New Testament times. You know, Galatians, they're saying, oh, you've got to have the works with you in it. And, and Paul says, no. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So, okay. I want to I turn your attention very quickly to this PBF pact. It's on your outline. In order to make an impact in our community. Now this is, this is, what, uh, this is an attempt of leadership right now. An, an attempt of leadership. And it's in order to make an impact in our community. Not uh, about a month or two ago, uh, Tim Wooth mentioned um, the word impact. And that just grabbed my, my attention and I started working on this idea. Impact. That's what we need. We need to make an impact on this community for Christ. You know what it starts with? And here's, the, here's how it reads out. Using the letters of the word impact. Number one, interceding. It starts with us on our knees praying. Interceding. Bill Kristoff mentioned it in the past about joining us for prayer on Wednesday nights. I echo that. Come join us for prayer. I would love to have us bust out of the office and out into here and have us praying seriously about week-to-week things going on in our lives. Do you have to be here? No. It's not a requirement. No. I hope you will want to be here. But to make an impact with your neighbors and in this community, we must start here with intercessory prayer. Then secondly, ministering. Interceding and ministering. Interceding is pray, 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 right? Pray, pray, pray. You know, without God's work, it's futile. But secondly, ministering is what? Serve, serve, serve. Be ready to serve. Give your life in service to Christ. Okay? Mark down uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45. Mark, chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life a ransom for many. Letter P. Proclaiming. Proclaiming. And letter A. Adorning. Proclaiming and adorning. It's got to be that way. We can have all sorts of proclaimers, 
But if they're not, what? Adorning, what does that mean? Arrangement, ordering it in the right way. So we've got to have proclaiming and adorning the gospel. Proclaiming, you see the verse, um, it's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He saved you and called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light that you may proclaim his, what? His excellencies. I, we, can we get excited about that? And proclaim his excellencies. Um, adorning it comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 10 through 14. Okay? So, interceding, ministering, proclaiming and adorning the gospel with compassion and truth. Compassion and truth. I've seen it enough where it's out of balance. I've seen the proclamation of the gospel where it's just out of balance. All it is is a doctrinal heave-ho and you don't get in line, you must be a sinner and chow, baby. Jesus Christ came full of what? John chapter 1. Full of grace and truth. It's not just lopsided grace. Oh, he's so full of grace. Yes, he is. But he's also full of truth. And you and I need to aim for that mark also with compassion and truth in this world that doesn't want to hear about truth. They just want to hear about compassion. But Christian, you and I have to bring the truth in lovingly in a strong way. Okay? Compassion. Luke chapter 10, story of the Good Samaritan. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on a heart of what? Compassion. And then for truth, um, John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. I, I wrote that verse in the, in the seniors' Bibles this year. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Any one of you seniors want to try it there? <laughs> you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And the truth shall set you, you... You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay? So, if we grab a hold of this and keep on, you know, making it better and acting upon it, I believe we will make an impact for the glory of God. And even if it's just this summer, one or two souls for Christ at VBS camp, I will rejoice and let's rejoice together. But then we need to remember to say, how do we follow up on that? Okay. Um, so, there's our... I, I hope that you'll commit to that. Having an impact in our community. Now, two weeks from today, Lord willing, we'll jump back into Hebrews chapter 13. And study some more about this relationship within the church. Leadership and people. Leadership and people. Let's stand together. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the Spirit of God working to bring about conviction of sin and, and comfort and guidance in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Continue your good work, we pray, in us. 
And Lord, help us to pull together. Lord, we've been reminded again of the need for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be broadcast in our lives, through our lives, and and change us, Lord, uh, to change our lives. Help us to, instead of pulling in different ways, help us to pull together uh, to accomplish the, the great things that you would have us accomplish here. We thank you for your work, and we thank you for your promise of returning again. Uh, guide us here this day to give praise to your name, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.